Acts, Acts chapter 15. It's a, it's a long passage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read. I'm not going to read the whole chapter now. Uh, instead, I'm going to uh, summarize what it takes place first. And then we're going to refer to specific verses. Um, as we all know, this chapter is a theological debate. Um, and the outcome of this is uh, is the official church verdict on a very, very important issue back then. So here's a summary of chapter 15, and I'm going to read the summary. Uh, first, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and some men came to them and requested that the Gentiles must be circumcised in order to be saved. They disagreed with them, and they said the Gentiles are saved by faith alone. They do not need to be circumcised to be saved. So the debate rises to a level that both groups uh, go to Jerusalem to get the opinion and guidance of the leaders of the church, the new church. So Peter stands up, Peter being one of the leaders of this uh, group, uh, stands up and says that he has witnessed the Gentiles coming to uh, faith by grace and that they did not, do not need to actually uh, be uh, under the, the yoke of the law for salvation. And um, in Acts 10, uh, we saw the story and, of uh, Cornelius uh, and his conversion. And that's what Peter is referring to. Paul and Barnabas also uh, stood up and, and they said they share what has happened to the to the Gentiles in their in their journey, which confirms what Peter uh, said. Then James uh, uh, says that this testimony of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas fits perfectly with the prophecy of the Old Testament that the Gentiles would be brought into God's kingdom. So we, we read that in Amos uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. I'm going to read it from the uh, ESV version, uh, 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 translation. It says, in, the day, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repairs its breaches and raised up its ruins, and rebuilt, rebuilt it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, uh, of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. That is the, the word of the Lord. So that is the portion of scripture that uh, uh, James is referring to. So he, James, suggests that the Gentiles do not need to become uh, obedient to all the Old Testament laws um, in order to be included in the church. But he does suggest that they write a letter to them to abstain from four things that we will talk about later. So the letter is read to the new believers, and there is much rejoicing because it is clear to everyone that Jewish 
believers and Gentiles can live in peace together under Christ because he has saved them all through grace. Let's open in prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you so much for this opportunity that uh, is presented to me to share this message with my uh, brothers and sisters today. Um, Help us, please, to be focused and learn from your word. Amen. So, this is a huge event in the early church. So, this debate that is going on here uh, gives us three insights that we're going to see in detail. How's the gospel saves? How's, how the gospel frees and how and where the gospel leads. So I chose this route instead of focusing on the debate and what happened and this and that. I think uh, this is uh, a, a, a more fulfilling message that we can take out of this situation and this uh, event that is happening uh, in the early church. So let's read verses 7 through 11. And I'm again reading from the ESV version. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in, in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. So Peter's speech clarifies this, the entire issue here for everyone And what he's saying essentially is what we know, how the gospel saves. So how does the gospel save? Well, first by bearing witness to our hearts through the gift of the Holy Spirit. How were were we saved? Did we perform certain rituals and uh, and uh, uh, sacrifices that led to our salvation or belief? Did we say a magic formula? Did we convince ourselves? No. We believe the gospel because God comes to our hearts and reveals the good news to us. That's the way we believe. 
It's not a routine, a formula. It's God giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. And all this happens through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's know that word, that, that, uh, that word, gift. It is a gift. Sometimes we might be prone to, uh, to think that the apostles were saved uh, because of the work they did for Jesus. After all, they were apostles. And their work probably got favor on, in God's eyes. Well, that's not true. The apostles were saved because God showed up to them and gave himself to them. That's a beautiful picture. God comes to us. You know, the heart is is the center of our body. It is the innermost part of us. It's where our thinking, our willing, and all decisions start. It is where the most basic and deepest convictions are held. And there is where God comes to our hearts. He doesn't come and change our behavior and uh, the way we, we dress and the way to, we talk to people. No. He changes the very part of us that controls everything. And he cleanses it. Salvation is a miracle. It's a gift of God. We cannot do it on our own. Secondly, the gospel saves us by the grace of Christ, as we read in verse 11. But we believe that that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We need to realize that most of the Christians... uh, uh, the first Christians were Jewish, and they were under this culture of uh, rituals and sacrifices, etc. Circumcision, for instance, uh, was a sign of the covenant with Abraham. It was a marker that they were in the family of God. And there were all kinds of laws, different laws that they uh, must they needed to obey as well so many that it was impossible for them to obey them so the jewish people were always failing and needed a sacrifice for uh, for uh, forgiveness they were always they were not able to to, to follow the law And they were feeling that they needed a sacrifice to bring forgiveness. So Peter in verse 10 is saying that the law is something we could never fulfill. It was a heavy yoke. But when Jesus came, he declared to the world this. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a wonderful message for Jesus, from Jesus to us, telling us, I'm here with you and for you. Jesus' yoke uh, is easy because he obeyed the law perfectly. He's the only one. And he fulfilled all the requirements for us. After all, he lived a perfect life. And he laid it down for the forgiveness of our sins. We failed. Jesus didn't. The work is finished. He did it for us. And we got the prize. All we need to be saved is to actually receive the gift of Christ. That Christ is, you know, that Christ is, is, uh, is offering. We need to believe that. Because even the, if the Gentiles were circumcised and follow all the law and all these things, it would not guarantee their salvation. Because salvation is not and has never been about works. It is about faith. As Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, verse verse, uh, 6, rather, uh, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And the Gentiles had faith. They believed in the gospel. So what Peter is saying is that these Gentiles that they are talking about and discussing are perfectly clean because God has cleansed their heart by faith. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus is giving us free justification. Because of that, we have been set right with God and counted innocent because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took all our sins and gave back all his righteousness to us. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness of this truth in us. So as we receive this revelation, we start to see something else. That the gospel frees us. In verses 28 and 29, we read, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We're working as a team with the Holy Spirit. To lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what what has been strangled. 
and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Remember the four things that I mentioned that we were going to talk about later? But these are the four, the four things in verse 29. Um, so we're going to talk about them in a few minutes. In a few seconds, I guess. Um, anyway, but I wanted to say that at this point, the Jerusalem Council has reached full consensus. And they decided to uh, send this letter to the Gentiles. And they have decided also that the Gentiles do not have to uh, come under the law of Moses to become Christians. That shows us how uh, much freedom is in the gospel. Now, how does the gospel free us? And if it does, why do we think they needed to include these requirements then? Well, let's see. First, the gospel frees us from saving ourselves. I know we have said this several times, but it's important for us to understand that we cannot save ourselves. That God has removed all the requirements and especially the ceremonial requirements uh, in the law of Moses. And he has done that through Christ. You know, when James stands up and delivers this uh, verdict, uh, from the council, uh, what he's saying is uh, that the Gentiles do not need to become Jewish to become Christians. And uh, that had freed the uh, Gentiles to um, uh, start a relationship with God based on a ceremonial law. And also tells us that our salvation is completely dependent on God, not on us. That is, my friends, much better. That depends depends on God, not on us. We're always trying to add law where God puts grace. And that's something that we always struggle all the time. And that's the reason why we need to hear and share the gospel constantly. Because we always go back to self-salvation mode. It's automatically. We can't save ourselves. We have to Keep that in mind. If we, if we really had to save ourselves, how could we ever be sure we were good enough or obey enough or even have an assurance at all? We couldn't.
God saves us by grace in Christ. And what happens with, when we believe in the gospel is that we are saying this, God, I can't save myself. I need you to save me. And he will. He will. The Gentiles have come already uh, uh, under the law and they have been judged by it. Because at the cross, Jesus bore the punishment they deserve. And his resurrection has given them the life they have now. It is always what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection of our Lord. What happened at the cross was not only a pardon from God. It was full acceptance by him. We're not just forgiven. We are welcomed. And this is how the gospel frees us. I haven't forgotten the four requirements we're going to talk about it now. These four requirements are specific requests for obedience. Three of them abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled. Help to create unity between the Gentiles and the Jewish believers. The other one, sexual immorality, is a moral law. And the moral law of God is something that as Christians, we must obey always. So in if the Gentiles and the, the new believers, the Jewish, uh, uh, well, everybody is a, is, a, is a new believer at this point, Jewish believers and, and Gentiles, but if they're going to coexist in harmony, they are asked to obey these requirements. That do nothing as far as salvation, but are important for the obedience. Because it's not obeying to be justified anymore. It is obeying out of love for God and to one another. When this happens, we, uh, we begin to have the power to obey that we didn't have before. And it is because we obeying out of love to God. God is alive in us. And when we start seeing this and we start loving God rightly, then we start loving each one of us rightly as well. And 
there is when we see that the gospel is leading us somewhere. In verse 30 and 31, uh, we read, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read the letter, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. You know, this council, this uh, meeting, this debate, could have gone terribly wrong. Because what was a divisive issue here could have split the early church in a conservative Jewish church and a liberal Gentile church. But it didn't. And it didn't because the gospel leads somewhere. It leads to the unity of the church. You know, all the participants in this debate, the Jewish group and the the apostles, um, they were all encouraged when they came to this debate in Jerusalem. They were all encouraged and willing to hear and be heard. And they were willing to respect the outcome of this council. And that is the attitude that we need to have when we are involved in any debate. To be willing to hear, to be heard, to talk, to communicate. Something that is very rare to see nowadays, but um, it is the right attitude. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, this unity cannot reside. We have differences, of course. But if we all open ourselves to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself will create unity within us because we are the church. We know that sometimes very serious issues uh, are raised around the congregations and they all must be addressed. So in Act 15, we have a biblical model of how to handle such issues based on total obedience of Jesus Christ and his gospel and rejoicing in one another, caring for one another, loving one another. All this will lead us to be true disciples of Jesus. It is the grace of God that makes us one together. Not our works, not our stubbornness or anything like that. It's the grace of God. The last four verses indicate to us that we're almost done. 
England, but also show us how encouraged everybody was back then. Everybody was supporting and helping each other. And they were all preaching and sharing the gospel to other people. That's the motivation that they got from this letter and from all this uh, debate. I found this uh, in a book, uh, or actually an article, uh, a 20th century theologian, uh, J. Gresham Machen, explained the whole situation in in Acts 15 like this. He said that the Jews said that people believe in Christ first, second, they keep the law of God the best they can, and third, they're justified. The Apostle Paul said that people first believe in God, second, they are justified before God, and third, they proceed to obey God. And uh, that is actually what God is uh, making for us, that we believe in Jesus that we're going to be justified before him. And as we said, and we heard this morning, um, God is, is, uh, is opening the door once we believe in Christ. So I would like to uh, leave this thought uh, uh, in our hearts that believing and sharing the gospel is a wonderful reason for great joy and unity among us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for your word, your teachings, your peace and promises. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. He's guiding us to you and he is part of us. Open our hearts today and allow us to treasure this message to be certain that your gospel saves, frees, and leads us to a joyful union to you and to our brothers and sisters to be able to love one another and live your word as it is your will. Amen.